You know that moment, uh, that moment when the teacher asks you a question from last week's class, and, and you feel this flash of fear wondering if you were paying attention last week, and whether you're going to know the answer. Anybody had that moment in your life? So uh, uh, just a warning for those who were in worship last week, I'm about to ask a question. Are you ready? What does the word Advent mean? You can hear a pin drop. It means to arrive. You know that moment when you don't know the answer and the teacher is looking right at you and then some smart kid in the class yells out the answer? Yeah, we needed that moment just a moment ago. <laughs> to arrive, this is the literal meaning of the word Advent. I want to repeat a metaphor that I, I introduced last week, and we're going to keep talking about it this month as, as we get ready for Christmas, because I, I think it can help us understand what the season is all about. Do you ever clean the house, like companies coming over, right? And you, you, want, you want to provide a wonderful experience because you love them. And so you, you clean the house, and you get everything ready, and then you wait, right? You wait for them to arrive, and this season, we're asking the question, like, what, is it, what does it look like to get our house, meaning ourselves, what does, it get, what does it look like to get ready for Jesus to come into our lives? What do we do while we're waiting? While we do a lot of celebrating during the Advent season, the real gift of Advent, I think, is, is something else, something we shouldn't miss. Advent's gift is that it's okay to feel like we're still waiting. Advent's gift is it's okay to say, I'm not ready. Advent's gift is time, time to prepare our, our hearts and, and our lives, time to, to wrestle and and open ourselves to what this love of God coming in Jesus can do. To help us answer this question of how to prepare all, all month here at Clay, we are searching the Bible for this question of, like, how, how do we prepare? And we're using Christmas classics, right? The, the Christmas classics get us ready for the holiday. They're, they're already used for preparation. So, so we're going back to those and saying, how, how might they point us to the Bible to answer this question of how we prepare our lives for Jesus? Thank you to Amy and the, the band today for uh, getting us into the story, or at least planting an earworm that'll be with us all day long. Let's, uh, let's pray, and then we're going to we're going to dive in to the story of the Grinch and to the Bible today. Holy God, we, uh, we don't want to be Grinches. We don't want to be the mean one. But God, if we're honest, there's a little Grinchiness in all of us. So we gather today to ask that for you to, to speak to us. May our minds be open to learn and may our hearts grow this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How is your heart? How is your heart? That's our question for today. Is it, is it hard or... Or is it soft? 
Are you taking care of it? Is your heart open or is it, is it closed? Is it expanding or is, is your heart contracting? Dr. Seuss wrote How the Grinch Stole Christmas. In, uh, in 1957, it was 20 years after his first children's book, CBS made it into a Christmas TV classic that I'm going to bet most of us, if not all of us, have seen. That happened in 1966. So people have asked, you, you may wonder, who, who is the Grinch? Like, did Dr. Seuss have somebody in mind when he wrote this story? In an interview with Red Book, which was one of the publishers of the original story, Dr. Seuss said this, I was brushing my teeth on the morning of the 26th of last December when I noticed a very Grinchish countenance in the mirror. It was Seuss. So I wrote about my sour friend, the Grinch, to see if I could rediscover something about Christmas that obviously I'd lost. Dr. Seuss was writing to himself. It's interesting to think about that. You know, I, I think it's really e easy to, to notice the Grinch in others, but it's kind of harder to notice the Grinch in ourselves, isn't it? And we might ask, what happened to Dr. Seuss to make him Grinchy? And uh, Dr. Seuss didn't say in that interview, but this is what, the, what he says in the, in the story that he wrote. It could be his head wasn't screwed on just right. It could be perhaps his shoes were too tight. I think the most likely reason of all may have been that his heart was two sizes too small. Heart problems. The Old Testament talks a lot about heart problems. Talks about them quite a bit. The major prophets, Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, they all talk about heart problems. The wisdom literature of the Bible, Proverbs and Psalms, they talk about the heart a lot. I wonder if that's not true because we do all have heart problems sometimes. Isaiah, early in Isaiah, he gives a warning to the people about their hearts. They've closed their hearts off from the world. They don't care about others anymore. And, and Isaiah says on behalf of the Lord, the Lord says, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Sounds kind of like the Grinch, doesn't it? And Jesus will repeat these words to his followers. And this is that moment, right, when, when we read and we go, wait, it's easy to think that it's for somebody else, but as Jesus instructs his followers, he's given these words to all of us. Watch your heart. Pay attention to your heart. This separation, however, hardened hearts that separate us from God, it's not the end of the, of the story in the Old Testament. Because even, even with hard hearts, even with, even with hearts far from God, even with hearts weighed down by the cares and the struggles of the world, the prophets say God is going to deliver God's people from heart trouble. 
That's their message. God's going to deliver God's people from, from heart trouble that causes so much pain and hurt and disruption in life. And what God asks through the prophets of God's people is, like, give me your heart. Open your heart to me. The people, they've suffered from their hardened hearts. They've created communities that aren't so welcome and opening and embracing. But there's hope. And this is what Jeremiah says to this community. He says, hang on. The days are coming, declares the Lord, Jeremiah 31, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the old covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Jeremiah says that a time is going to come when God is going to write it on your hearts, when you're not sure how to follow, not sure what the way is. Right? Jeremiah is going to invite God's people to look at their hearts, to follow the way of love. We should pause a moment and, and think about the heart in this time, right? There wasn't a knowledge of anatomy like there is today. They knew a lot, but they didn't know what we know now. And, and for them, the, the heart was the seat of life. Right? Everything ran through the heart. It was the most important part of the body. And so when, when Jeremiah talks about it being written on the heart, Jeremiah is saying, let, let your very life be written for God. Ezekiel also has something to say about the future. He says, For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and all your idols. I will give you a new heart and I'll put a new spirit in you. I will remove you from, your, from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Great image, isn't it? This idea of letting God take our hearts of stone. Letting us feel goodness and joy and light and love with a heart of flesh. As God's people collected the wisdom, as they prepared to, to, to resettle the, the land and be the people of Israel again, caring for the heart, it became a central theme for them. Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Proverbs 27.19, as water reflects the face, so one's life reflects the heart. And all this just keeps bringing us back to the question, how is it with your heart? Now, some of you have teenagers. Some of you are teenagers. Some of you were a teenager. 
But we all know that when you ask a question like that to a teenager, they say, it's good. But the truth is, we're not much different than adult, as adults, right? Somebody's like, how's your heart? Like, it's good. I'm good. All's good. But is it? I think the Bible invites us to be honest with our answer, to really, to really examine our hearts, to name if there's hurt or anger or struggle in our hearts. We could spend a, a whole day doing a symposium on all the ways that the Bible talks about the heart, but let me just sort of pull it into five questions that we can ask if we want to do kind of a, a heart checkup, a way to get beyond it's good and answer this question. The first question, how is my personal relationship with Jesus? If we think of, of Jesus as a, as a family member, as a as a best friend, like, how is that relationship? How's our heart doing in that relationship? Are, are we spending a lot of time? Are we, are we investing in that relationship? Are we, you know, just kind of holding, holding Jesus over there and pulling Jesus to us when we have an emergency? How is, how is our relationship with Jesus? The second question, do I worry more? Am I worrying a lot? Or am I trusting God? Another question we can ask, am I critical and judgmental in life right now, or, or am I encouraging and accepting? Heart check question, am I generous and giving? Am I, am I opening my heart up to the needs in the, the world around me, or am I fearful and, and self-serving? And finally, what parts of my life point to God? And what parts point elsewhere? This may not be the, the best analogy because there's some of us who really don't like to go to the doctor, but right when we're sick, we go to the doctor because, because the doctor can help us give a plan to, to heal Right? We get a checkup. We do a checkup, and we figure out what's wrong so that we can address those things and, and get better. The Bible invites us to, to do a checkup every so often, or maybe even quite often, to do a little checkup on our heart, to identify those, those things that are hurting or broken, those places we need healing. And then Advent is about creating that healing plan Stepping into those things that we need to do for our heart to be healed, opening our hearts to, to God in that time. If your heart is twisted up or, or suffering, if, if it's grieving or angry or hurting, and the first thing we should hear is that's okay. It's okay to admit that. God can't work on our hearts if we won't open our heart to God. But... But if we'll open our heart to God, God can even transplant a heart and certainly soften and transform a heart if we'll be honest about the state of our own. In the book version of The Grinch, the, uh, the last thing that The Grinch does before he steals the Christmas tree and throws it up the chimney, does anybody know what it is? He gives Cindy Lou Who a glass of water. 
And I didn't recognize this early, but I, I wonder now, like, could it be that that is the first little act of kindness that cracked open the Grinch's heart? It created a little bit of space for light to get in. Ah, it's certainly possible he was just trying to get rid of her. But we'll never know. And Ron Howard, when he took this story and he created a feature-length movie out of it, Right, he had to extend the story, and it's interesting the creative choices his team made. One of their creative choices was to tell the backstory of the Grinch. Right? And the Grinch, the, the, kind of tell why the Grinch became the Grinch. He was ostracized and, and made fun of and pushed out of the community. That's where his, his bitterness comes from. And then... In the movie, after he gives Cindy Lou Who the glass of water, she turns and she starts to go back up the stairs. And as she's going back up the stairs, she turns back to the Grinch, who she thinks is Santa, right? And says, please don't forget the Grinch. I know everyone says he is mean and ugly and nasty, but I think he is kind of sweet. And I don't know what you think of Jim Carrey's version of The Grinch. Some people love it. I think more people don't. But he does a great job in this moment. Like, if you watch the face in this moment, you see, like, he's doing this, this mean persona, and then all of a sudden, there's just a crack in it. When she says that to him, you just, I don't know what it, if, it's, if it's sweetness or joy, or there, there's just this moment in his face where you just see, you see happiness. And then he quickly, he quickly dismisses it. All because Cindy's heart opened to include somebody on the outside. All because Cindy's heart was open enough to love somebody who was different than her, somebody who was even mean. I think it's easy to think that peace and goodness, the kind of peace and, and goodness in our world and our community, the kind that we desire, I think it's easy to think that, oh yeah, that's gonna happen when everybody else gets over their grinchiness and, and, and life gets better. If the hearts of others would just change, then our world would be a better place. But I wonder if there's this song, Let There Be Peace on Earth, some of you may, may know it. And it says, the peace that begins with me. I wonder if there's not some truth in that song, that peace starts with me, with you. Peace starts when we stop seeing the other as the enemy or somebody to be destroyed, but instead begins to see the other with an open heart of love and goodness. Peace starts with you, with me. When we open our hearts and instead of buying into the, the drama and the fighting, we take a step back and offer another way.
in our world. You see, the the peace that we seek, the Bible says that this peace comes from a heart centered in the love of Jesus, wide open as Christ's heart was open to us. We can't change the hearts of others, but we can open our hearts and let them be changed. And as our hearts are changed, we can witness to others in a way that that may open their hearts up to let God change them. We believe in a God that can change hearts. I think we often look and think, peace has to start out there and then we'll experience it. But today we hear this message that peace starts in my heart. And if I know the love of Christ that conquers all, I can live in peace even when everything out there is still chaos. In this season of Advent, we prepare. We prepare our our hearts by opening it and seeing what's inside. Emptying our hearts of those things that make us calloused and angry and and those things that cause us to be hurtful or, or mean. We prepare for Jesus by softening our hearts with his most extravagant love. In the years following the writing of the Grinch, Dr. Seuss would say that the story came really easily with one hang-up. He couldn't get the ending. Like, he, it all laid out in a hurry, and then he said he got to the ending and he couldn't figure it out. In a later interview, he said this, I got hung up getting the Grinch out of the mess. I got into a situation where I sounded like a second-rate preacher, some biblical truism, Finally, in desperation, without making any statement whatever, I showed the Grinch and the Who's together at the table and made a pun of the Grinch carving the roast beast. I had gone through thousands of religious choices, and then after three months, it came out like that. With all respect to the amazing writings of of Dr. Seuss, it's interesting that he doesn't see his ending is grounded in religious symbolism and truth, right? The people of Whoville singing, even though they've lost everything, experiencing peace, even though the Grinch has turned their worlds upside down, that, that singing, the faith in the midst of the struggle is, is one of our images as followers of Jesus. The Grinch sitting at the table carving the roast beast, heart wide open and three sizes bigger, sitting with those who were enemies before that or might consider him an enemy, but now being welcomed at the table, that is an image of our faith. This is the way that we prepare in this season, loving the outsider, inviting people to the table and and loving them there opening our hearts to a love of God in Jesus that can overcome anything that has happened before. If you have everything in life together right now and your heart is at peace and things are good, man, that is awesome. Keep on keeping on. But for the rest of us, the rest of us who who 
have hearts that are troubled and have challenges in life that we're not sure how to overcome and have angers and hurts that seem like we can't let go of them and have struggles upon struggles for the rest of us wherever we are. The Bible has good news today. We're invited to prepare for the coming of Jesus in this season, not by pretending that we're happy, but by admitting where our hearts hurt, where they're hardened, where we've developed calluses, and where we've shut others out of them. Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble. We're invited to name those troubles. But in our confession, in opening up our hearts, Step by step and piece by piece, we make room for a love like no other. I do not give to you as the world gives, Jesus says. So do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Jesus invites us to let God into our hearts and know a peace that passes all understanding, that will guard us from all the chaos of the world and let us lead into the world with love and joy and peace. It seemed like it would be fitting today to close with a psalm. The psalms, I think I looked, there are 175 references to the heart in the course of all of the, the psalms. There are many psalms about opening our hearts to, to Jesus, to God. But uh, I was driving and thinking about this message the week of Thanksgiving. I was headed home, and, and admittedly, my heart's been troubled myself as we deal with, with struggles, family illness, and things in our own family, and and, uh, and as I was there and thinking about the message, I started a conversation with Ella about this idea. And, uh, and I said, you know, what if Dr. Seuss wrote a psalm? And Ella played along. And for an hour or more, we just threw out ideas about, about what would Dr. Seuss say. And, and Ella would look up psalms. I was driving. I was not reading. Um, Ella would look up psalms, and then we'd figure out how to say something in the language of Dr. Seuss. And... And, uh, and so uh, today we're going to end with a psalm in the tradition of Dr. Seuss that certainly echoes several of the psalms in the Bible. Do not pout, for we should sing. We should sing to God our King, unto us with all God's heart. This holy truth will God impart. God made us big, God made us small. God made your heart, God made it all. Be joyful now, God loves you so so praise God high and praise God low. Open your heart and keep it that way. Let God's love break through day by day. Amen.